as I read, I want you to take note of what was said about this man, Simeon. And I also want you to give attention to his response of meeting the baby Jesus. Luke chapter 2, if you found that, please move to verse 25. Luke recorded, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Thank you. May be seated. I want to begin by asking you a question. What is worth waiting for? What is worth waiting for? A couple months back, a friend met me here at the church, and he was carrying this drink, and it smelled delicious. And I said, what are you drinking? He says, it's a pumpkin spice latte. And I have been waiting for months for this seasonal drink. Going back two months ago, my son who lives in Texas, I spoke to one of his friends, a native Texan, and his Texas Rangers had won the World Series. So when I talked to him, I said, are you excited that your team won the World Series? First time in the history of the franchise? He said, you have no idea how excited I am. I have been waiting my entire life for this to happen. Now, you may love pumpkin spice lattes, and you may be thrilled when your team wins the World Series, but I personally don't know if that's really worth waiting for. So I ask you again, what is worth waiting for? Simeon was probably about 90 years of age when moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts and he met this baby named Jesus. For his entire life, he had been waiting for this to come to fruition. And when he saw baby Jesus, as the narrative declared, he knew that it was worth the wait. I want to say to you today, that as we look at this passage, that we will see that we are very much like Simeon. And I will go so far to say that what he waited for is worth our wait as well. We're going to see a few things that are worth the wait. If you pulled out your outlines, I see some of the Cornerstone family. For others, they're in your bulletin. If you'd like to, you can write down the first thing that we're going to discover is that fulfilled promises are worth the wait. Fulfilled promises, having a promise kept, is worth waiting on. Now, I would say today that all of us have experienced broken promises. Is that a correct assumption? That perhaps you had family that promised to come and spend Christmas with you, but probably some of you have had family members call and say, something's come up, we're ill, we're not going to make it. Some here have probably had a boss promise them a raise or even a promotion, and then your boss did not come through. Even still, all of us have experienced broken promises from friends and maybe even from spouses. 
Simeon discovered that God always, always keeps his promise. God is a promise keeper. Let me show you the passage that we just finished reading and one of the things that Simeon said right out of the gate. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have now seen your salvation. As he made that declaration, he had been waiting for this as I declared his whole life. It had been 400 years since God had spoken through one of his prophets. The last prophet that spoke to the nation of Israel was Malachi. At that time, the Persians were in control of the known world, and they controlled Israel. King Artaxerxes was in power. But soon, as most of you know, in history, Alexander the Great conquered the Persians. And yet at 32 years of age, he had an untimely death, and Antiochus Epiphanes moved to power. When he then came to Israel, in three days, he annihilated 40,000 Jews. Then he had the audacity to go into their temple and put up an idol of Zeus. Now for 120 years, the Romans had controlled Israel. That's all Simeon knew. That is all he knew growing up was oppression and hardship and difficulties, but he also knew God's promises. He knew what God had promised to do for Israel. This is a promise that perhaps you're familiar with. I'm sure he was. Watch as it comes on the screen and follow along as I read. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before this, pinned these words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In that moment, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Simeon knew that he was holding the Christ child, soon to be proclaimed the Prince of Peace. If you're familiar with the story of Christ Jesus, you know this passage I would say to you today that if you've not put your faith in Christ Jesus, if you have doubts and you're wondering whether you can believe it or whether it's really true, I would argue today that this passage that was written 700 years earlier, proclaiming Christ's birth, which has been proved historically well in advance, would say to you that what the Bible has to say is absolutely true and when Paul gets to Ephesians and he declares that Jesus is our Prince of Peace, he's declaring that Christ came to help us have peace with God. When I think about this promise of Jesus being the Prince of Peace, it takes me to another promise in the Old Testament. As it comes on the screen, this promise was written by King David. Follow along as I read. David declared, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you're not familiar with this passage in Psalm, let me give you some background. At the time that David wrote this, he was on the run. He'd already been anointed king by the prophet Samuel. He had killed Goliath and conquered the Philistines and he'd been invited to live in the palace with King Saul. And yet King Saul, because of his jealousy, 
despised David and put a bounty on his head, and David is running for his life. So when he writes this, he had this confidence that God had made a promise to him that he would be the next king. Revisit what he had to say. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. He's saying that there is something that goes with the promise of God. And here he's declaring that we have to trust the Lord. You have to believe in God. You need to believe in Jesus. And evidence of whether you believe is you continue to do what he says. You continue to do good. And with that comes safety, confidence. But notice he says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 13 years ago on a Christmas Eve service, 2013, I shared a story about a young man, Devon Only. Devon was 15 years of age in 2013. When he was born, his mom was in prison. So from the very beginning of his life, he was placed in foster care. At the age of 15, his mom passed away. All hope of being with his mom diminished. So he spoke with this caseworker and he came up with this plan. And on Christmas Eve, he was going to go to a church in the area and he was going to ask permission to make an appeal. And so that's exactly what he did. After the sermon, he was invited forward. He stood on the stage. He held the mic. He introduced himself and he told his story. He went on to say that I know that God still believes in me, and so I still believe in myself. And I'm asking if any of you would adopt me, whether rich or poor, mom or dad, black, white, or purple, he said, I don't care, I would just appreciate it. In the next two weeks, he received 10,000 offers to be adopted. As it went into the new year, he accepted one of those offers and moved to Ohio. But tragically, within three months, the family changed their mind and sent him back to Florida, back into foster care. About a year and a half later, he contacted his former caseworker, and he said to her, I still believe God promised me a family, and I'm asking you, will you consider adopting me? And that year, she did. And here's a picture of them. Devon only and his mom, Connie. It's been seven years. There's been some bumps. There's been some challenges. But he truly believed what that Psalm 37 said, that God will give you the desires of your heart. I say to you today, the condition is that you delight in the Lord. That is that you press into God you really know the Lord and you learn to know what his will and his desires are. A lot of you know my story. 27 years ago, God changed my desires. I had no intent, never wanted to be a pastor, but I made this decision that God was my portion, that he was the only one to delight in. And through that, he began to change my desires and gave me the desires of my heart. I ask you today, is it possible if you have a desire in your heart for a family that God put that there? Or if you're single, that God put that desire to someday meet that spouse and to be married? Or perhaps to have a really close friend or a ministry? 
I say to you, it's quite possible that God put that desire in your heart, but the way to know that is to delight in him, trust him, and continue to do good. Here's the second thing that we're going to learn from Simeon. Answered prayers, they're worth the wait. When we take a look at the next verses, we know that he was praying. When he held baby Jesus up, he was praying, and it was a prayer of praise. He was giving thanks to God. I think it's safe to assume that he was giving thanks because he had prayed over and over for the consolation of Israel. Let me read what he prayed and then come back to that idea. As it comes up on the screen, verses 30 to 32, Simeon said, For my eyes have now seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What did he mean by consolation? He'd been waiting for that. Consolation simply means that he was praying for the comfort, the protection, and the deliverance of Israel. And now he held in his arms the answer to that, the hope revisiting his life experience and Roman oppression. If you know anything about history in the first century, you know that they ruled with an iron fist that they would tax you, they would pressure you, they would obligate you. And if you resisted, if you had a different opinion, if you wouldn't align yourself with Rome, if you wouldn't believe that Caesar, who declared that he was God, was right, then you could be imprisoned and even crucified. And now he saw the hope, the anticipation that that was taking place, the consolation of Israel. 50 years after this point, the apostle Paul, a man who wasn't believing in Jesus, but was confronted by Christ after he came back from the dead, was now in a Roman prison cell himself for believing in Jesus. And he wrote a letter to some individuals, some believers in Philippi, and it was a prayer of consolation. Follow along as I read what he said to them. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Think about this. He is in prison, facing trial with Caesar. Inevitably, there is going to come a time where he's going to be martyred. This could be the time. Yet, he has this deep conviction to tell this group of people not to be anxious and worry. Why would he say that? Because by this time in Paul's life, he knew that God was good all the time. God was good all the time. And he knew the words of Jesus. Jesus himself said to his followers, Before your needs are on your lips, your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. In that same passage, Jesus would go on to say, if God knows when one sparrow falls and he cares about a sparrow that's not worth more than two cents, how much more does he care about you? Subsequently, Paul believed because God is good and he cares about his people that we can present our requests and petitions With thanksgiving, that's critical in this answer to prayer. The premise is because God has been faithful, 
The assumption is that when you pray, you look back on how God has watched out for you, how he's provided for you, how he's brought you here on a Christmas Eve morning. And when you look at that, you have thanks in your heart to God, but it causes you to have thanks for the future because you know that as he's answered prayers, he will continue to answer prayers. And so he says, when you do that, the peace of God that trans all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If I'm correct, all of you have had prayers that you've prayed for and waited on. In some cases, God didn't say yes to your prayer request. But if God is still good, then his no was actually for your benefit and your blessing. And yet what this verse promises in regards to an answered prayer, that even as you're waiting on your prayers to be answered, God will supply you a peace to know that when it happens, that he's in control and he cares about your life. And that leads to the big idea, the take-home truth of this passage, which is simply this, the presence of Jesus is worth the wait. I suspect when Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms and realized that this was a fulfillment of promises and it was also an answer to prayer, the many prayers that he had prayed, as exciting and as encouraging as that was, the aspect that was the greatest that he was literally holding the Messiah. He was in the presence of almighty God. Christ's presence is worth the wait. A while back, I invited a friend to meet me here at the church in my office at 5.30. I said, when you get to the church, come in the back door, go up the back stairs. I'll be in my office and we'll spend some time connecting. The day came and I was very busy and I was working in my office and I lost track of time. Suddenly, I looked up at the clock and I noticed that it was 5.40. And it surprised me because this friend was never late. Curious, I went downstairs and I discovered that the staff had left and when they departed, they had locked the back door behind them. And because of my busyness, I didn't hear my friend knocking for 10 minutes. You see, I thought I was waiting on him when in fact he was waiting on me. I go back to the idea of worth waiting on Jesus. And I would state an assumption that many of you have been waiting on Jesus for a lot of things waiting for him to heal your family, resolve the relational conflicts, to provide you a job, to step into your predicament, to help you financially. But I would say quite often because of our busyness and our distractions, we don't realize when we think that we've been waiting on Jesus, the fact that he's been waiting on us. Let me show you a verse in closing. Jesus' words in Revelation 3.20. He said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's the invitation of Christmas. Jesus saying, I came to earth so that you can have a relationship with me and fellowship with me. Would you please bow your heads? Father, as I pray, I'm asking that you would work in our midst. And I'm praying for anyone here today that feels distant from you would realize that you are actually right there, that you've been with them all along. 
In some cases, they need to come to you, ask for forgiveness of their sin, and invite you into their lives. In other cases, simply like my story said, they're just busy. All of us have been busy, neglected. Neglected pressing into you. Neglected trusting you. I thank you that Christmas is a reminder that you came, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins. And I pray that in these closing moments, that if there's sin in our heart that we need to confess that we would do that. But let us rejoice. Help us to give praise that you are here with us, Emmanuel. Amen.